My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. A year ago, during the Easter season, the Catholic app for smartphones named Halo launched this special series for its subscribers. The Daily Miracle is a five to ten minute audio segment that recounts some fantastic stories from faith that are just incredibly mind-blowing. For example, a young girl named Gemma DiGiorgi, who was born in 1939 without pupils in her eyes, making her physically blind. After the prayers offered by Padre Pio, she was able to see. Doctors and scientists have continued to examine her eyes throughout her life, and to this day, and I believe she's still alive. If you met her, you wouldn't think that she could see because she still doesn't have pupils, yet the cure was permanent and complete. Or how in Montreal, Canada, in the mid-19th century, this simple, humble, poor young man with a deep and sincere love for Jesus and for St. Joseph entered into the religious congregation of the Holy Cross. The superiors of the order accepted him as a religious brother, but because of his, his frail health and his lack of formal education, they assigned him as the doorkeeper for Notre Dame College. While seemingly a, a menial task, this allowed him to meet and to speak with many students and teachers who came to the door. And as he did, he would listen to their, their problems, and he promised to pray for them. And he would encourage them to do the same, to pray and to ask for the intercession of St. Joseph. Well, word began to spread that when people would go to Brother Andre, asking for his prayers, many would receive a miraculous healing, which included a 22-year-old named Joseph Jeet, 
who, according to his doctors, was paralyzed for life after falling from a scaffolding. Joseph recalled that meeting brother Andre, he ordered him to put down his crutches and to walk. And when he obeyed, he was cured. Joseph was one of over 10,000 people whose prayers were credited to now St. Andre for their cures, with that number continuing to grow day by day, but now it's saying estimated over 125,000 prayers have been answered through St. Andre's intercession. Or the story of how over 70,000 people in Fatima, Portugal, on October 13, 1917, witnessed the miracle of the sun, Whereas the Blessed Mother was appearing once again to the three little children, the sun danced in the sky. That even the most cynical of atheistic journalists had to report the reality of what they experienced in the newspapers the next day. It's amazing and challenging listening to these types of miracle stories. On the one hand, we can be moved to to wonder and awe at the inexplicable, how the words that were first spoken by the angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, that nothing is impossible for God, continues to be verified as true up to this very day in unexpected ways. But challenges arise when we want a particular miracle and we don't seem to get it. A parishioner once shared at a wake for their relative how They had prayed to St. Jude Novena for a miraculous cure, and they didn't get it. And as they were explaining, they kind of laughed, saying, I guess I screwed up somewhere along the way in how I prayed the Novena. And when I assured them that they hadn't, the question turned from a laugh to a cry, saying, well, then why did God take them from me? That question gets to the heart of what are miracles all about? Why do we have miracles in the first place? Some of the earliest recorded miracles come from the Old Testament. Some 3,000 years ago, our ancestors in the faith, the Jewish people, had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And God had raised up the leader, Moses, to deliver them out of this oppression, out of this injustice, into freedom. With Moses going to Pharaoh in Egypt and saying, let us go to offer sacrifice to our God. And when Pharaoh refused, that's what unleashed the ten plagues that we find in the book of Exodus. We hear the stories, for example, of the Nile turning to blood or frogs falling from the sky. And we think those are pretty significant feats and signs and miracles. But this wasn't God showing off, trying just to capture people's attention. First, it was upending the pagan deities that the Egyptians had worshipped. At this point in time, the Egyptians, as well as some of the Hebrews, had started to look to the false pagan gods. And for one example, the one named Happy, who was supposedly the, the god and the great protector of the Nile. Well, when that majestic river turned to blood at the hands of Moses, and what was the source of life? had now become a source of sickness and death. It proved not only how futile these idols were, but more importantly, it was calling the Jews into deeper faith, deeper trust 
in the Lord God and in him alone. And despite the ten plagues and the wonders and the signs that they saw and they experienced, the Israelites still struggled and doubted. When they approached the Red Sea and they see that Pharaoh has now chased after them, their impulse is to complain to Moses. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? And we know what happens. The Lord God parts the Red Sea. The Jews walk on dry land with waters like a wall to the right and to the left of them. And when the Egyptians pursue, the waters are released and they drown. Not three days later, as they continue further and further from Egypt, the Jews are now thirsty from their travels. And the water that they find is too bitter to drink. And again, they start to complain. And God, through Moses, instantly provides a remedy that makes the water sweet. It's this ongoing cycle that, despite all the wonders that God had accomplished, the Israelites continued to struggle with disobedience and unbelief. And that's where we pick up in that first reading today from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses reminds them that the reason for their delay in going to the promised land for 40 years was solely the result of their lack of faith. They wandered in the wilderness because they didn't believe what God had told them and promised them. Yet even then, God still provided for them, miraculously producing manna, this heavenly bread, this this heavenly food and water gushing forth from a rock as they waited in the desert. God remained faithful to them even when his people struggled to believe in him fully. And it's when the people began to become single-minded in their belief and they recognized God's goodness, when they rejoiced in the blessings and the favors they had received, when they were humble and grateful to acknowledge that their very lives and that they were still existing at all was in fact a miracle, it's then that they're ready to enter into the promised land. They had to stop looking at God as some genie on demand who needed to respond to their many requests and instead to recognize the awesomeness of his power, the amazing love he had demonstrated for them and and wanting to reciprocate it as limited as human beings are and even trying. But God had told them how they could do that. Listen to my word. Follow my commands. And that would be enough. And he would continue to work wonders with and in and through them. But centuries later, the Jewish people did not live as the free people that God had created and called them to be. And at the time of this gospel passage that we just heard proclaimed, the Jews are now being oppressed by the Romans. And for the most part, they were living superficial lives of faith. And Jesus had now begun his mission and his ministry of proclaiming that in him, God had now become one of us and one with us. That the kingdom of God was here in their midst in Jesus. This passage picks up right after Jesus had been teaching them all these things 
and had fed the multitudes miraculously from a few loaves and a few fish. Once again, God had provided a heavenly remedy to attend to their earthly needs. And after they've digested that, and they woke up the following day hungry again, they go to Jesus. But for many of them, it's because they simply digested the bread and the fish, not the greater reality, the more important message, and the true miracle, that Jesus was God himself in the flesh, that God had become intimately close to them. And to drive the exclamation point on this reality, Jesus launches into this teaching where he reveals that he himself is the living bread. If one wants life, not just survival in this earthly dwelling, in this physical existence, but eternal life, they need to in fact devour him. We need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And this is the precious gift of the Eucharist that we celebrate on this great feast of Corpus Christi the most holy body and blood of Christ. That you and I experience the most precious of miracles at every single Mass. That Jesus becomes real and present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the bread and the wine on this altar. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross at Calvary and his victory being risen from the dead on Easter are made real and present through Jesus' priesthood. And he invites us, mere mortals, to take and eat. On a human level, it's, it's unfathomable to understand that it could truly comprehend. But unfortunately, so many don't even wrestle with this mystery. Wrestling and naming doubts and bringing them to prayer and to reflection, those are all great things to do because at least then we're engaging God and we're striving to believe. But sadly, too many seem indifferent to this miracle that we encounter at every Mass, which is why so many people don't come on Sunday. Maybe it's frustration that God hasn't shown up in the way that we want. We have a, a miracle in mind that hasn't happened, so we ignore the one that he offers. Yet as understandable as it is that all of us have our prayers, we all have our intentions and hopes and dreams, and God wants us to have those and to bring those to him. Ultimately, though, we're confronted with the same choice our ancestors had when they were being led by Moses. Are we following God or are we trying to create our own God? Do we take stock of the many ways from throughout the history of humanity to our own personal stories that all point to the greatness of God, the miracle of life itself? and bring humility and docility to let him continue to meet us right here, right now, in the humility of the Eucharist, seeing how in the body and blood given for us, we receive the crucified and risen one, that in our receiving him, Jesus is constantly working new miracles, but for eternal purposes. Because think about the fact that eventually, the 70,000 people who witnessed the day the sun danced in Fatima, Portugal, or the thousands of people who credited their, their being cured to the prayers of Brother Andre in Montreal, or the remarkable healings that astounded those 
who encountered the love of Christ through Padre Pio, eventually every single one of them died. Those miracles were momentary triumphs over a momentary trial. In the Eucharist, Jesus comes to me and to you so that we begin to experience eternal life with him right here and now. Do we see and desire that? A few years ago, this Benedictine monk published a journal that's entitled Insinu Jesu. And it recounts his, his private prayers, how he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him very personally and intimately, as well as to priests about their faith in response to the gift of the Eucharist. And it's become a, a favorite book of mine that I've read multiple times because you can imagine Jesus dialoguing with you as you read this, asking you probing questions and some deeper reflections. So to close, I just wanted to share this one selection where Jesus is speaking about his gift of the Eucharist, where he says, why do they stay away from me when I have performed this miracle of love that is my real presence in the most holy sacrament of the altar in order to be so close to them? Why are they obstinate and hard-hearted, wallowing in worldly pleasures, suffering the terrible boredom of those who look to this world and its deceits for the joy that only I can give. They're like the sick who refuse to see the physician. They're like the lonely who refuse to open the door to the friend who desires only to visit and comfort them. They're like the hungry who turn away from the food set before them. They're like the thirsty who will not drink of the stream that flows fresh and clean at their very feet. But I will pursue them with my merciful love until they surrender to my heart and allow me to be their friend and the joy of their hearts and the light of their eyes, the physician in their sickness, their food, their drink, their shelter, and in a word, their all.